You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, March 26, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social, at svbcfamily. Does anybody remember what my favorite chapter in the Old Testament is? Isaiah 53, yes. Wow, man, you you listen. I want to turn, this isn't the sermon, I promise. But I was, while we were, we were praising, we were worshiping, something was just really being laid in my heart. We got a lot of folks out right now. You know, Sue's home, not feeling so great. Connie's not here, so her back must be killing her. I know Bruce, Bruce isn't feeling well. We got people traveling. But there's a, there's a truth, because there, there's some sickness going around. There's stuff, some chronic stuff going around. But there's something that's in Isaiah 53 that, that I, think, I think we don't pay enough attention to. In Isaiah 53, I'm going to skip down and look at verse 4 and 5. It says, Surely he took up our infirmities, and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Here's where it gets real. It gets real here. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You realize that's true? It wouldn't be here. It wouldn't be in here if it wasn't true. So by the wounds of Christ, we also have the ability to find healing. I'm just going to take a few moments to pray for these, for just the sickness and the pain that's going on in the church right now, for everybody that's, that's affected. I know that there's some folks you hear that are here now that I know from talking to you, you're in pain, physical pain. So we want to pray about it. We want to pray for that. You know what? Our ultimate healing is, is eventually being with him, but I, don't, I believe that he can... And he does sometimes alleviate sickness and heals sickness and alleviates pain. And it says it, Isaiah 53, we just read it. So let's pray, let's, let's pray about this. Let's bring this to the Lord, and then we'll dig into our sermon. Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name. Father, you know. You know the stories of each and every person in this room and those of us who can't be here for one reason or another. God, I know there are people in this room that are feeling some serious pain. Where I know Wanda's she's struggling with pain. Richard's been struggling with pain. God, and that's just to mention a few. There are some who aren't here now who are struggling with pain. 
Like Connie, God, I just ask that you touch her now in Jesus' name. And Sue and Bruce and all these folks that, God, they don't have to be sitting in this room to feel the, the healing virtue from the throne of God. All you have to do is will it, and it'll happen. God, I'm asking right now, as a son of the Most High, in Jesus' name, God, I'm asking you to send healing to these folks right now. God, if they're feeling pain, ease that pain. God, take it away. You can do it. This is such a small thing for you. I understand sometimes you use pain to teach us lessons. But God, you also have shown us through the prophet Isaiah that by the wounds of Christ, we can find healing. God, I ask that you send that healing in Jesus' name. Release that pain. Free that pain. If there's nausea or vomiting, whatever the case may be, some of the folks that aren't here, God, relieve them of that now in Jesus' name. By the stripes, by the wounds of Christ, we can be healed, God. I ask that you just do a miraculous thing. God, I ask that these folks right now could say, I don't know what just happened, but I feel better. We will know. We will know. Touch them. You are the divine physician. You are the creator. You can fix your creation. God, I pray for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. It is written, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Talked a few weeks ago about the fact that we were going into and we are now in the Lent season. I haven't focused much on that. You, you know, what is, what is the Lent season? For us, it's the, it's the 40 days leading up to uh, basically Good Friday, the crucifixion. The kind of where we get this 40-day thing is we kind of look at the, when, when Christ went into the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days, and we kind, of, we kind of remember and recognize that time of him in the wilderness. And people sometimes choose to, to uh, fast something. You know, Jesus fasted food. Jesus didn't eat for 40 days. Can't wrap my head around it. I'm telling you, 40 minutes, and I'm starting like, I wonder when I'm going to eat again. You laugh, but it's true. I, I can't even imagine going a day without eating. I, I, I mean, right, right about the six to eight hour mark, I start getting hangry. I got to get some food in my mouth or, or, or I'm, I'm just going to be in a bad mood. <laughs> 40 days. You know, God calls us to times of fasting and prayer. You know, what is the purpose of fasting? This isn't going to be a fasting sermon, don't worry. You know, I'm not going to ask you all not to eat lunch. I'm going to eat lunch, trust me. But the purpose behind fasting is it's a time that brings us closer to God. You know, kind of how does that work? Some of it I just don't get. You know, there's, there's, there is importance, a important spiritual side of it. Jesus even said that, that in order to cast out some demons, that, that it requires fasting and prayer. So there's something to this fasting thing. 
But one thing that I do know about how it works is it takes your mind to a different place. Because when you're, you're feeling belly pains and you're feeling hangry, you have to kind of push through that thing. And the only way you're really going to do that is, is, is God, God help me. I need you. I need you. So fasting does have a way of realigning your, 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 your focus and your priorities. It's, 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 like I said, there's, there's parts of it I just don't get. You, you know, I, I understand that there's power in it. Jesus talked about there being power in it. But 40 days, he, he went into the wilderness and he fasted. But he was being prepared for what was coming next. Does anybody remember off the top of their head what happened right before he went into the wilderness? He was baptized. Yes. Shortly after John baptized him, we heard the voice from heaven, this is my son from whom I'm well pleased. The Father led him, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. So we're seeing kind of the... the, the the beginning of the earthly ministry of Christ. That was kind of the beginning. That was, that's where he kind of came out of his, we don't see anything really from age 12 to about age 30. That's kind of a, a dead spot in our, our knowledge. But, but now he's, 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 being, he's been baptized. This is the, whole, the Spirit was upon him. We hear God speaking, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit descended on him like a dove. All this really cool stuff. Now God's calling him out into the wilderness. This is, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That, that's huge. And again, Jesus said much later, you know, that even some demons that deal with him, you have to fast and pray. So Jesus is about to face the number one bad guy. He's getting ready to face off with the devil himself. So God leads him into the wilderness, and he fasts and prays for 40 days. And after fasting and praying 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh. He would have been very hungry. By the way, I do want to put a little sidebar note here because people get funny ideas and say, well, I'm going to fast for 40 days like Jesus. If you do something like that, you don't cut off food cold turkey. You prepare. You've got to prepare for fasting, you know, because bad things can happen to you physically. Sidebar note. The tempter came to him and said, who's the tempter? Satan? Yes, absolutely. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I could see why this would have been a temptation. I hadn't eaten 40 days, 40 nights. And now old Snaggletooth comes along and says, you know what? If you're the son of God, you can turn these stones into bread and you don't have to be hungry anymore. You, you know, you can just put an end to this. You can put an end to this thing. You can put an end to this, 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 this hunger that you're feeling, this weakness. I can imagine he was probably feeling pretty weak at this point. And again, at about a day, if I can go a day, I'm feeling pretty weak. I got to eat my jelly beans or my Starburst. I need it. So he would, have been, he would have been pretty weak at this time. I think there's even a lesson here. You know, in the law of Moses, you are required a day of rest. 
You know, Shabbat, the day of rest, that wasn't a request on God's part. That was an order. It was a law. Why is that? Because when you get tired, I know all about tired. Lord, I know about tired. When you get tired, you are most susceptible from the attacks of the enemy. You need rest. You do. Shabbat, rest. It was, it was not a request. It was in the law. Why? Because you need your rest. So I don't think it's by any accident that when Jesus is at his weakest, even though I'm sure part of this preparation of this confrontation with the devil would have been this 40 days of fasting. But I also don't think it's any kind of, any kind of coincidence that when Jesus would have been at his weakest time, 40 days without food, 40, 40 days or nights without food, he would have been weakened. That's when Satan comes. That's when you're most, you need your rest. You need your food. You need to be built up. But old Snaggletooth here came at, at a time, and he's like, if you were really the son of God, make these stones become bread. What did Jesus say? Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you realize that your very existence, to your very existence, the word of God is more important than the bread that you eat? It truly is. You know, the, you can starve yourself to death, not eat until you die. And what happens afterwards? If, if, if you don't have the Word of God, if you don't have Christ in your heart, bad things happen. You can, you can live on an eternal level without bread. You can't live on an eternal level without Christ. You just can't. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What I want to focus on here is it is written. What is so important about that? It is written. You can sit in a pew in any church on a Sunday morning and have some guy that dresses probably better than me spoon-feed you stuff out of this Word of God. How are you going to know if I'm lying to you? How are you going to know if I'm wrong? You know what? I, I could tell you... Well, it is written that the sky is green. And if you haven't been in this yourself, you might be inclined to believe that. Yes, that's, a, that's, that's an exaggerated example. We, we were talking about, in Sunday school a little bit, this, this thing with you know, works and salvation and this, and that, and the other. What if I told you, it says in this, the Bible... Okay, in, in Psalm 106, verse 10, you can obtain a crown of life by working hard for God. How would you know any different if you didn't get in this yourself? You need to not depend on anything that I say or anything that I do. You need to be in this yourself. Yeah. Why? Because, A, I expect you to check on me. I want you to check on me. I want you to see if I'm full of bull or not. 
Why? Because it is important for you not to ride on the coattails of the faith of any other man or woman. It is important for it to be your faith. It is important that you know this word yourself. It's the way that when false prophets come, that you will know that they are false prophets because what they will say conflicts this. It is written. What, is, what else is important about that? Again, what's going on here? Jesus and the devil are head to head. How does Jesus fight the devil? The Word of God. So is there something to be said about that when the old devil comes knocking on your door, you're not worthy of God's love. You're just a piece of trash. You're not like those other guys and gals in that church. How do you, how do you combat that? This. This is how you fight the devil. It is written. The, the, the armor of the Lord. What's Paul talk about that? The armor of the Lord. All the stuff that's in the armor. This isn't going to be an armor sermon. But all the stuff is defensive. What is the only offensive weapon in the armor of the Lord? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is written. It is important for you to know what's here, not only because it keeps you from falling for lies, because there is no lies in here. This is all truth. It also gives you the sword. It gives you the offensive weapon you need to make old Snaggletooth Hit the road. This is it. You have two weapons at your disposal that catches the attention of Satan every single time. The name of Jesus and the word of God. Because of the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's the Lord. But it's also important that you know this word. It is written. This gets even more interesting. Can you help me out there, bud? Thank you. <laughs> then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. Let's stop there for a second. During this temptation, where does Satan take Jesus? The church. <laughs> you think Satan's afraid of coming to your church? I would say one of the best ways he breaks up churches is not trying to attack it from the outside. It's joining it. <laughs> so we see the devil taking Jesus to the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Get this. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Do you see what just happened here? Not only did he take Jesus to church, he used the word of God on Jesus. That is why it is so important for you to know your word. I don't expect anybody here to be a Bible expert in a week. 
I have a doctorate in a biblical studies genre, and I don't consider myself an expert because the more I learn, the more I learn, there's more to learn. I, I just, it's, this is, this thing just blows me away. The, 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 the layers that are in here. So I'm not expecting you to be this, be this, this Bible expert overnight, but I expect everyone to take chunks of the time. I don't care if you start out with the Gospels. If you've not really engaged with your Word, your Bible Word, now start out with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read about Jesus. Get familiar with the life of Jesus. Once you get that down, start looking at Paul. If you're really ambitious of stuff I like, I love the Old Testament. There is so much cool stuff in the Old Testament. But I'm asking you to engage with your Bible, engage with the Word of God, because the devil will even use the Word of God to fight you back. That's what he was doing. That's what he was doing here with Jesus. Do you think that if Satan throws the Bible at Jesus, you don't think that he's won't at you? <laughs> I don't know the word the way Jesus knows the word. But he had the audacity to try to use the word of God against him. It is so important. And you have to understand too, though. And again, it doesn't require you to be an expert. It requires you to be moving ever forward in your studies because you have a really cool thing. If you're a believer, you have a really cool thing that's also giving you protection. What is that? The Holy Spirit. So does it require you to have absolute memorization of everything? No. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit brings back things into our remembrance. You know, so when you tuck this thing, you tuck these truths down into your heart. The Holy Spirit will remind you at the right times. So is Bible memorization a good thing? Yeah, it's a good thing. But it, it doesn't require you to memorize the whole thing. But you need to be familiar. Read through it. And say, Holy Spirit, if it, ever, if it ever becomes important that I know this, please remind me of this verse. This looks like this might be really important to learn someday, or remember someday. Ephesians 2.1. I just opened this up. This wasn't planned. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, and you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, glorifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who in his rich mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Just open that up. That was not a plan. Holy Spirit, do you think I might need that again someday? I guarantee you, you will need that someday. You will need to be reminded in your readings, it is written, it is by grace I am saved and by nothing else. I can't believe that. That's what we were talking about in Sunday school. <laughs> so how did Jesus respond to this? Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
So now we got a battle of Scripture going on here. Do not put. So that's what Satan was asking him to do. Put God to the test. You know, if you're really the son of God, the word says he's not going to let you fall down and hurt yourself. He's going to have his angels lift you up. Put him to the test. Have you ever put God to a test? I have. I have. How many times have you ever said to God, if you will get me out of this, I will do that. If God, if you save me out of this situation, I'll never do it again, God. I know a surfer dude one time. I used to be a kind of a surfer dude. God, if you get me out of these charges, this is a real thing. This isn't a joke. If you get me out of these charges, I will turn my foot. What does that mean? That's a surfer thing. You're going one way on your board. When you turn your foot, you whip around and you go the opposite direction. <laughs> if you'll get me out of these charges, God, I'll turn my foot. I will turn my life around if you get me out of trouble with law. Have we ever made deals like that with God? If you heal me, God, I will serve you. We challenge God all the time with tests. When we do, God, please have your Holy Spirit remind us of your word. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. God has nothing to prove to us. He's already proved his love to us. You realize if you never get anything else ever, ever, ever again from God, he has already given you more than anybody else ever could. He gave you the earth, a place to live. He gave you the air, to breathe. He gave you the sun so that, so that things could grow. When you were dead, he gave you his son so that you could live. God has given you so much. He has nothing to prove to you and I. He has already proved himself. He has already proved himself. Look at the Old Testament. We're talking about going to see Moses. It's sight and sound. The parting of the sea. River in the blood. All these things. God has already proven himself. The walls of Jericho, when they came down, God has already proven himself. Even before Jesus came, God had already proven himself. He took a group of people and conquered a land that they should not have been able to conquer. God has already proven himself. There is one passage, though. He does tell you, you can put him in the test on one thing. Does somebody know what that is? Your tithe. This isn't a tithe lesson either. But that is the one thing in the scripture where he says, you can put me to the test. Test me and I'll show you. But Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Number three, you realize Satan is also, he, he, he's, he'll just keep coming. He'll just keep coming. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Mind you, Jesus is hungry, probably weak. He's, he's really been battling it out here with the devil. He's not going to turn that, that bread in the, with his rocks and the stones. I'm not going to throw myself off of the temple because I'm not going to test my Father in heaven. So now he offers him something much bigger. Do you realize each one of these offers just gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger? Well, now Satan takes him to the high mountain and shows him all the kings in the world. So if you'll bow down and worship me, you can have it all. Well, first of all, I can tell you the devil's a liar. He wouldn't have ever given it to him. It's already his. It is. But Satan is the prince of this world, unfortunately. We, let, we gave that to him. But they're sin. But if you will bow down and worship him, I've read someplace else in this word. Even if I gain the whole world, and that's kind of what Satan is trying to offer Jesus here, even if, even if I could gain the whole world, but I lose my soul, what do I gain? Nothing. The devil wasn't offering anything of any worth. If the devil took me to that same mountain and said, okay, bow down to me and I'll give this all to you. No, 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 no. If you'll just bow down to me. And I'm a flea. He was saying this to the creator of the universe. If you'll bow down to me. Do you realize that's where the whole rebellion of the devil, where that came to? We see this in the Bible, that he wanted to, to raise himself up above the stars. What is the stars in, in apocalyptic scriptures? It's, it's the angels. He wanted to raise himself above the angels, and he wanted to be equal with God. So the very same, and the devil himself was an angel. So an angel, a fallen angel, was saying to the creator of the universe, that if you'll bow down to me, I'll give it all to you. <laughs> kind of ironic, isn't it? And Jesus goes, I've made it all. But how does this apply to us? Again, we gain nothing if we get, obtain the entire world but lose our soul. What you have in Jesus is worth more than anything that you could earn, more than anything else anybody could give you. What God has given you, what the Father has given you in his Son, you can't get a better deal anywhere else. You just can't. And I'm not even talking about the difference between heaven and hell. 
That really, that really ups the ante. I'm talking about here. The day that Jesus was born in this earth, the kingdom of heaven had arrived. And this has been getting bigger and bigger. Bigger and bigger. But what God has already given you in his son, now I'm not even talking again about heaven and hell, what he has given you for your life here and now is more than anybody else could have ever given you. He has given you a love with no strings. How many people give you that deal? How many people that, that they can tell you that they love you, but if you're really, really mean to them for a very long time and you tell them, I hate you, I don't want no parts of you, I'm going away, never want to see you again, will that love grow cold? It will absolutely grow cold. But the Father has given you a love that has no strings attached. It does not waver. It does not fade. God has given you a love and has demonstrated that love through the giving of Jesus. And Jesus has demonstrated that love to you by his willingness to sacrifice, to be sacrificed on a cross made of wood that he created. And the Holy Spirit has demonstrated his love for you by living in you and sticking with you in the ugliest of your times. God has demonstrated his love to you in crazy awesome ways. You can gain the whole world, but absent those gifts, you have nothing. How does Jesus respond to this last thing's offer of the whole world? Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Does the Bible say, resist the devil and he will flee from you? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Again, we're learning. We learned a lot of cool things about fighting in the spiritual realm from Paul. But he don't touch what we get from Jesus. <laughs> Jesus attacks the devil with his word, the word of God. And he finally says, away from me, Satan. You want to get the devil away from you? Away from me in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Don't there, by no other name can we be saved. By no other name can we come against somebody like the devil and win. But in Jesus' name, we have victory. Why? Because he has already overcome the world. He has beat this world. He has beat death. He is risen. He is alive. He's alive forevermore. He sits at the right hand of my Father, advocating for every single one of us this very moment. He's up there saying your name to the Father as we're sitting down here. He is still advocating for you to this very day, this very moment. It is written. And for that reason, I will worship the Lord my God and serve him only. And the devil did leave him. And the angels attended him. It is written. You have, again, two defensive weapons. It will not only help you fight the devil, 
it'll help you get through life. It'll help you get through storms. It'll help you get through sickness. Do not underestimate the name of Jesus. That would be a mistake. That would be a mistake. In Jesus, you can find healing. In Jesus, you find redemption. What is redemption? He's bought you back. He's paid for you. In Jesus, you can find peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that the world cannot give you, and a peace that the world cannot take away. In the name of Jesus. Weapon number two, the Word of God. If when you're confronted with a storm and you can respond, it is written. If you're confronted by man and you can respond, but it is written. If you're confronted by the devil and you can respond, it is written. You're in a good place. You're in a very good place. Read this word. I cannot begin to emphasize the importance of you reading this. What's the difference between a Bible-believing church and a non-Bible-believing church? A Bible-believing church actually reads the Bible and believes it's the real deal. It is the real deal. So pray for us.